0: You're listening to the Lux Lounge Podcast, the official podcast of Urban Lux Real Estate. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Dave. Hey, it's Joe Pascal of Urban Lux Real Estate here with the Lux Lounge Podcast. Uh, happy you could listen to us. We actually have a, quite a few people listening. I'm surprised. So I thought it was all by myself out there. Uh, but it sounds like there's a couple of you listening, they're probably just family. Uh, but so flying to so hold today again, uh, Dave Westbrook, my partner is out and about with clients. It happens when you're a realtor, you got to fly by the seat of your pants and always be available for your clients. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. We're going to talk really quickly, give you an update on the market. Again, we are at ridiculously low numbers, uh, 2,426 available single family homes in Maricopa County today. That number should be near 12,000. We're running 10,000 low. I'm gonna give you some insight what the market's gonna look like in the future and then talk about being a seller in today's market that's what people want to know. They want to know, should I sell my home? It's ridiculously overpriced. The question is, where are you gonna go? So we can sell everybody's home in a day, but where are you gonna go? We have people going to RVs and traveling around the country because during COVID, uh, they can work from anywhere and they're taking advantage of the high sales prices uh, a lot of people are buying that dream car. You can't go to Porsche Scottsdale right now and buy a car because guess what? You can't get one. 911s are sold out till July. Don't ask me now how I know that's true. Uh, but what we're looking at here is sellers getting top dollar, getting bidding wars on their homes, selling their homes in a couple hours. What does that entail? It sounds like it's a real easy job for the realtor. It is not. Uh, the seller... Uh, has to actually interview realtors that understand this market, how to time this market, how to look at contracts, and realistically how to negotiate for them that they don't get burned in the scenario. Let's put together a couple different kind of buyers going to make offers on your home. You might get an investor, and in Arizona we can assign contracts, which means you can sell the contract. So someone who never seen your home might write you a ridiculously high offer, cash close in 10 days, no repairs, sounds like a golden dream come true, and then you find out they only wanna see if they can sell that contract to someone else for more money and take over their position. What that looks like to you as a seller is a buyer that's not emotionally involved in the sale. That's a bad thing. What's gonna happen most likely is near the end of the 10 day inspection period, you think you're closing escrow and gonna get a check as a seller, and your buyer defaults. He backs out. He takes his earnest money with him because he's during the inspection period and he's allowed to. The Arizona contract allows a buyer to disapprove of the house within the first 10 days based on inspection reasons. So let's say he did an inspection, he brings up one of those reasons, as minute as it could be, the front door jam rubs. And instead of asking to repair that for $10, he backs out of the whole contract. What he's really doing is he's using that as an excuse to back out, get his earnest money, because he couldn't find a buyer at a higher price to sell your contract to. So your agent needs to know, is this person what we call a wholesaler, someone who's just gonna flip the paper for a profit? Is it an investor that's going to do a remodel on the home? remodelers, everybody thinks they make millions of dollars. Actually, their margins are pretty tight. If you make $25,000 or $50,000 on a remodel, that might be enough for you. You might be pretty happy. Uh, so if you find a buyer and they're an inspect uh, investor, they may just say, I'm gonna back out because the margins are too tight for me after I've done my research, or I said I was going to buy the house as is, now I can't afford to because I can't afford to replace that air conditioner. Seller, you need to participate in the sale with me. I said you weren't going to have to, but guess what? Now you do, or I'm not buying the house, and if you don't participate in reducing the price or giving me some concessions, I'm walking away with my earnest money. Is that the buyer you have? Do you have the opposite side, that first-time home buyer who really almost can't qualify for the house, who's barely doing it on a shoestring, and may end up doing something silly in the meantime, like buy four tires on their car, and that's just enough cash to make it so they can't qualify for the home. That could happen. You need to make sure that buyer can close escrow, can afford to. The investor probably can with cash. The first-time home buyer, he's leveraging everything to the hilt to get your home. Might love your home, might... Adore it might be the person you want to see in your house, but he can't afford to take the house as is because he can't afford to make the repairs necessary to live in the home. He may not be able to afford the mortgage once we get all said and done because that lender was a little gung ho on qualifying the person. And then you might have your medium buyer bought a couple different homes, selling a home, buying a home. They know what they're buying, you feel very comfortable with them as a buyer, however. Maybe they have a house they need to sell. Maybe they're selling the house right now and your offer on your home is contingent upon the successful uh, closing of escrow on their home within the state, outside the state, doesn't matter. But if that deal falls apart, your deal falls apart. Or you might have a domino effect. Your buyer purchase on your home is contingent upon their sale. And guess what? Their buyer on their home has a contingency for the sale of their home. And you don't know how far back it goes. It might be three or four. And I'll tell you a horror story. I had a client last month. Um, Boy, a condo in Portland fell out of escrow. And that trickled all the way down to a home in Maricopa, a home in Ahwatukee, a home in Chandler, and eventually hit my home in Scottsdale. So all the way down the line, they dominoed and hit each other. And when one deal fell apart, they all fell apart. There's Since the, it was a buyer contingency, the buyer was able to keep their earnest money. And my seller was just high and dry. Now we have days on the market. We don't have a buyer. We might have made some repairs for them already. Not good stuff. And everybody loses money down the line. No one's happy. So it's not good for anybody. So really, you have to look at all these different buyers and their scenarios that they're in when you're judging a contract, a purchase offer. It's not all about the final price on the contract. Be easy if it was, but it's not. So you want to make sure that you have a realtor that understands all these nuances when looking at a contract to tell you which one they would advise. Again, it's not our job to tell you which offer to take, but we do need to kind of compare them for you because you're a layman. We're supposed to know what we're doing and be able to compare those contracts and give you our opinion on what they really mean. There's also portions in the contract that you're going to see are standard or not standard. There's a section to ask for home warranty. Who pays for it? The buyer or the seller. Who orders it? Buyer or the seller. The appraisal fee can be purchased by the buyer or the seller. Let me tell you, it should always be the buyer. Um, there's a place for concessions and they try to sneak those in, help pay for that buyer's loan costs. Uh, that can be up to 3%. And on a, you a know, $100,000 condo, that's still $3,000. But when you talk about a million dollar home, 3% is a lot of money. I mean, don't get me wrong, 3,000 is a lot. But when you start getting to 30,000, it gets to be a real lot. And if they sneak that in and you're a seller and your agent didn't let you know, you're not gonna be happy. So we have those portions that are standard. There's also additional circumstances, especially in today's market, that you need to look out for. A buyer might come in and come in, what we say, come in strong on that offer. They might waive some things. We're taking the house as is. Well, the contract's already as is. What does that mean? Does it mean they can't ask for repairs? Just because they said as is in the contract does not mean they can't ask for repairs. We still have to go through the buyer's inspection notice and seller's response form and get that signed. I'll talk about that in a moment, but they're not really waiving anything when they say as is. It sounds great, but it's really not that much of a difference than a regular offer. There's also portions on there. The buyer might make their earnest money non-refundable after all contingencies are removed. Well, there's contingencies all the way till close of escrow. So that might not actually matter, but sound really good. Um, Or it might be, non-refundable from day one. And that might be a really good thing. If they default and their domino situation falls apart in the, well, that one scenario, you actually get to keep their earnest money. How much earnest money should you take? 5000 10000 15000 50000 depends on the house. And your agent should advise you that and what the normal standard number is. Uh, the other things on there is uh, right now you're getting buyers saying, we will waive the appraisal contingency. Well, if they waive the appraisal contingency, can they really purchase your home? let's say your home is in escrow at five and a quarter, and the appraisal comes in at 500, who's gonna make up that difference of $25,000? Since the buyer waived the appraisal contingencies, do they have the extra $25,000 above and beyond what they were gonna spend in cash to buy your home? They're gonna to need to to meet that waiver of appraisal contingency. So you're gonna to need to see what their finances are like. So you might ask for proof of funds. So that's another scenario. There's a bunch of pieces and you really need to look at all these when you're looking at contracts. A lot of times there's escalation clauses now. Escalation clause means the buyer will pay more than the appraisal and then guarantee it. However, if that appraisal came in really low, they might be paying more than the appraisal at a really low number. And as a seller, it sounds good when you see it up front, but when that scenario happens, you're not happy at all. So we're gonna go through the life cycle of a seller really quick. Uh, what it looks like today and what you can kind of expect with this low inventory market. So what you're typically going to do is you're going to go out there and you're going to interview some realtors and you're going to ask people, are you full time? That's number one right now because the market's moving too quick to work with somebody who's got two jobs. Uh, If you get an offer that comes in and it's got a timeline on it, somebody says I'll way overpay for your house, but I want an answer an hour because I don't want to get into bidding war. And your realtor is working at Chick-fil-A uh, they're not going to get back to them in time. You're going to lose that sale. So you want to make sure your realtor is full-time. You want to make sure that with a reputable company that other agents want to work with and you can do your homework locally and you'll usually know that pretty quickly. Uh, you want to see the track record of that realtor. Have they been doing this for a while? It's wonderful to mer- to to hire family, to hire friends. However, in this market, it may cost you a lot of money to do so. You They have to know what they're doing If they're new, make sure they have a mentor, somebody they're working with that has been in the business for a long time. It's okay to hire your niece that just got out of real estate school if her broker is right there alongside of her with 20 years experience to help her through the transaction. So gauge all these things. It's okay to say no to people. I've had people say no to me. I wasn't a good fit. That's great. I'd rather know that up front. Uh, The types of things you're going to ask your realtor are going to be, You know, how many homes have they sold? What's their average days on market? What's their average sales price so that they're working in the right area? What what their local sales area actually is? Are they an area specialist? Are they not an area specialist? Is this their part of town? Are they comfortable or are they not? Maybe you have some things on your property like a well or a septic system. Are they familiar with that? Maybe you live in County Island, not in the city. Are they familiar with that also? Maybe you have a solar system on a solar lease. Are they familiar with that? The things that are important to you on your home are going to be important to your buyer and you need the realtors in the middle to mediate those two situations because you're not talking directly to the buyer. They are. So you need to make sure that your, your agent understands the pieces of your home that are important as sales features. Once you're comfortable that you've picked the right realtor, that realtor is then going to have you sign a listing. That's going to be an Uh, a bunch of documents right now (laughs) uh, that you're going to fill out uh, so that you can list the home with their broker. We're a broker state, not an agent state. So you actually are listing the home with that agent, but the broker actually takes control of the listing. So if you're working with a urban Lux real estate here. Uh, Sierra Allegretto is our our broker and she actually manages every escrow here. Uh, so you're going to talk about that and and who's going to hold your listing, what the conditions are, if you are unhappy with their service or not, uh, you're going to go through that. You're going to go through commissions of course, and people talk about commissions and then you're going to determine a price based on comparable values. So the agent is going to help you educate you on what you should sell your home for. You're going to put that home on the market. Um, Prior to going live on the MLS or Zillow or Redfin or any of the other sites, you're gonna probably get photos done. Uh, You may get a pre-inspection done, so a home inspector might get hired beforehand to inspect the house to make sure you know what you're selling so that you can honestly tell people and disclose what you've found or maybe make some repairs for them. Again, your agent should be able to help you along with that process. Uh, There, you're gonna fill out a seller property disclosure statement, nine pages of everything you know about the house it's your opportunity to disclose to the buyer what you know by your home. And please, 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 it's always easier to disclose than not disclose. Legally, you have to, but you want to really go back through your receipts and your memory of the home and go through every scenario you have to find out what you're really selling. Um, a buyer that finds a problem that you didn't disclose that maybe you knew about and forgot about is going to assume that you're trying to hide that. You don't want to do that. And that's an opportunity for you to disclose on that seller property disclosure statement. If there's no room on there to put down the other things, you can do an addendum to that and really let that buyer know. Nice to put that actually in the listing so they see that online. Uh, you're also going to have your insurance company um, bring up a loss history report or a clue report. That's last five years of insurance claims on the property so you can disclose that to your buyer too. You want to provide those two documents to the buyer. So let's say we've moved forward and you've found a price you want to list your home for. You've signed a listing with a realtor and his broker. You've had photography done, had some repairs done. You now go on the market. Uh, once you go on the mark on the MLS in today's market, you will be overwhelmed by showings. Most likely if you're priced anywhere correctly, you're going to get 10 showings that first day. Uh, probably a good time to take a vacation for a day, uh, leave the house. Um, you want to have that house in the best condition possible on day one, because you're probably going to find your buyer on day one. So you want to make sure that buyer is comfortable giving you a really good offer. And again, you're going to see all those different kinds of offers. We talked about all different kinds of contingencies, all different kinds of, of, situations like waiving appraisal or making earnest money hard things that you're going to want to see. They're also going to do something that's really dangerous. And they're probably going to give you a letter, a letter about the family or the person that's buying the house or the investor. We're really trying to stay away from those things based on fair housing. We don't want to discriminate against people. The second people start sending you photos and letters about them automatically automatically, People are going to assume that you're making an assumption on who you're selling your home to. We really just want to make sure we sell the house to the right buyer with the right situation. Um, It's lovely to get emotional uh, issues involved in who you sell your house to. But as realtors, we need to stay as far away from that as possible. So if your realtor says, I got a letter from the buyer, you can look at, I'm not going to. That's why we don't want to get uh, involved with fair housing regulation. Uh, So we're going to stay away from that type of it, but we're going to pick that buyer We're going to accept that. Let's say they make us the perfect offer, 10-day close, full price offer, cash. Um, They've got no house to sell. Uh, They're going to do their inspection for the first 10 days. So we're going to have an inspector come in. We're legally responsible to let them in. We let that inspector in. He inspects the home. He's going to take about an hour per 1,000 square feet. You got a 3,000 square foot house. He's going to take about four hours. Uh, He's going to then provide a copy of that report to the buyer. The buyer's agent's probably going to send a copy to your realtor, the listing realtor. And the buyer is then, within 10 days, going to ask for repairs. And they use it up. Buyer's inspection notice and seller's response form. We call it the Binzer. The buyer will ask to either say, I'm fine with the house the way it is. No repairs asked for. Another option is, I'm uncomfortable with the home and the condition it's in. I'm going to walk away from the deal. I'm going to cancel my escrow. I'm going to take my earnest money back from me. Within that first 10 days, they can do that. What we're normally going to see, buyer's going to say, hey, here is the inspection report. And on this inspection report, I found these XYZ items. Let's say 5, 10, 15 items. I'd like you to repair those for me. The seller then has the opportunity to say, yes, no, or Maybe yes, I'll repair them, no, I won't repair them, or I'll repair these, but not those. The last scenarios, they might say, hey, we'll give you closing costs in lieu of those repairs. We don't want to make any of those repairs. We might give you a concession in cash at close of escrow to make up for those repairs. You'll see that quite often right now, as it's very difficult to get a handyman out, given the current construction situation in Arizona. So now as a seller, you found your buyer, they deposit earnest money with an with the title company. They've done their inspection. They're going to do the appraisal next. And that's coming from the lender. And they're going to send an independent appraiser out. You're going to open your house for them. And they're going to give a market value on the home. And hopefully that market value meets your purchase price. So let's say we're back at that 500 number of sales price. If that appraisal comes in low, who's going to make up the difference? If the appraisal comes in high, nobody says a word. Everybody's just happy and they move forward. No one's gonna usually rock the boat if that appraisal comes in over value. Typically doesn't in today's situation, but it has in the past. I've been doing this a long time. Uh but if it comes in low, you might have problems. So everybody's gonna cross their fingers until that appraisal comes in. It's typically come in about 10 to 14 days after you've opened escrow and accepted that buyer's offer. Let's say we've gotten through that hurdle. We have now Opened escrow with earnest money. We have the lender working on the loan and getting the appraisal and the appraisals done. We've had the inspector out and we've approved the repairs. If I'm a seller at this point, I'm thinking I'm going to move forward to close the escrow. My buyer's happy. I'm happy. I'm going to do those repairs and provide receipts with licensed contractors for the things they asked me to repair. I'm also going to meet um, the needs of the title escrow company by providing them information that I need to furnish them, my information, my payoff information for the current loans I have on my home, any liens I might have on my house, and any HOA information so they can transfer the HOA if there's one, and usually in Arizona there is, uh, to the buyer. We provide all that information to title. The seller actually can then then sign title docs almost any time before close of escrow. They don't need to wait till the late last day. We're not an attorney state. We're all all not going to sit at the table, buyer, seller and sellers and buyers attorneys at one table and sign on closing date. That doesn't happen in Arizona. They'll typically have the seller come in early, provide you with a estimate settlement statement. So a good faith estimate of what your proceeds are going to look like. They're going to give you um, information on, on the things you need to sign for the HOA and, and, to transfer title, seller signs pretty quick. You're gonna go in there for about 45 minutes, sign all these, and wait till the buyer's loan docs come in, the buyer then signs and they match all those together. One thing that I wanna really bring up is we have a lot of wire fraud right now in the country. I think it's like $1.5 billion last year uh, got um, diverted illegally. Uh, So you wanna make sure that when you tell the title company, this is my bank information, these are my wiring instructions, that it's correct. Otherwise, your proceeds of your sale, let's say you sold that house for 500 and you only had a $100,000 loan, $400,000 could get diverted to a fraudulent bank account if you're not careful. Make sure you know who you're talking to. Make sure you get that thing done right with your title company. You don't want to lose that money just because you jumped the gun. Uh, so at that point now, we've signed everything. You roll the close of escrow, close you of escrow. As far as realtors are concerned, And when we hand the keys over to the buyer it's going to be the moment that the county records the transaction so let's say the closing date's on the 30th usually sometime during that day the title company's going to say we've recorded at that point now you're going to hand keys over to the buyer as a seller you probably want to hand over mailbox keys garage openers make sure you don't forget all that stuff and hand that over to the buyer Um, and then you're off to your new home. Congratulations. And your agent's done a great job. But it starts up front. If you nail down all the particulars up front with your realtor and how they like to communicate with you, what type of marketing they're going to do, how they're going to negotiate the contract, what a perfect offer looks like, making sure they know what they're doing. And in that area for that type of home, you're going to save yourself a lot of problems. A lot of sellers, again, just assume that all realtors are the same, They're not. There's some great ones out there. Find one. Um, If you're in Arizona, please call Urban Lux Real Estate. We'd love to help you. Uh, We have agents throughout the Valley that specialize in your type of home and your type of area. And um, I don't want to say just us because a lot of good firms out there, but we'd be really, really honored to work with you. So until next time, this is the Lux Lounge with Joe Pascal at Urban Lux Real Estate. I hope you all have a good week and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lux Lounge Podcast, the official podcast of Urban Lux Real Estate, located in Old Town Scottsdale, Arizona. If you'd like to support the show, please give us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice, follow the show on Instagram, or subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have questions for Joe and Dave, feel free to write in to luxloungepod at gmail.com we may talk about your question on the show. If you would like to learn more about Urban Lux Real Estate, please visit our website, urbanluxre.com, for more information. This podcast was produced by T-Door Productions. Intro music by Doug Maxwell. Outro music by Track Tribe.